0: We all, we all struggle, we all fear stuff at, at some level. And for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about it. And it's just one of those series where I pretty much know you just kind of drop it and uh, it, it's going to do its thing because it's just so relevant. So my name is Bryant. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are One Church, Two Locations. And at both locations today, we're starting this series and we're going to talk about it for three weeks. And here's what I'd say. Some of you are at the place, though, where you're like, I don't really, you got you have small fear. You're like, I don't fear, a whole lot of stuff, which, honestly, you make everybody nervous. You're the guy in high school with the no fear sticker on the back of your truck that just, um, I don't know if that's you, that made a lot of bad decisions, Um, but you just don't seem to fear anything. And and here's what we're going to kind of discover is fear is actually a good thing. Like God, at some level, has given us fear for a reason. Like There's healthy forms of fear. In fact, there's a condition where the amygdala in your brain does not produce fear, and it's incredibly unhealthy. So you can look back, right, to decisions um, that you made or didn't make on the basis of fear that you're really thankful for. Like you didn't date her, you didn't get her name tattooed on your bicep, right, and like it was fear that kept you from that, and now you're thank you that I didn't, and get, like whatever it is. But you can all look back at, at things that fear kept you from doing or, or led you to do that was a really good thing. And so um, if you have this amount of fear, then, then there may be more than you need besides this three weeks, le- legitimately. And then others of you, you've got all caps fear. Like it is at some level dominating your life. And, you know, for you to make it through the day sometimes is is really difficult, and there's some people that, like, we're in that situation, we feel it at that level. And so, again, this this may be incomplete over the next three weeks for you, because really, the way this series is designed, it's for the 80% in the middle. That where a lot of us, man, it's a big deal, it um, has affected parts of our life, or there's seasons of our life where we fear more than others, and that's really where this series is designed, so legitimately for some of you, and I want to help direct you over the next three weeks, you may need more outside of these three weeks, in fact, I think there's probably a lot of us in that place. But this is kind of for us in the middle where it maybe is not completely out of control where we can't get out of bed and we're not at the place where we go, we don't fear anything, but we're kind of right there in the middle. And here's what we believe. If you're a Jesus follower or if you're investigating Jesus, which we're glad you're here, that in a sin-infested, broken world, fear is real. Like there are things to fear. There's things that we should fear. And so this series isn't about, oh, don't fear anything. No, fear's healthy. Or minimizing your fear. This is kind of a completely different conversation. Here's where I want to start. I want to start by really defining fear. And you kind of already know what it is, but I want to put words to it. Fear is an emotion, right? Um, this TV's is not quite... quite um, Uh, straight, and so my OCD tendencies are just going out of control right now. So um, fear is an emotion that we feel, and there's maybe more to fear than ever before in our culture. I mean, just maybe because we're more aware through social media. I have a news app on my phone, and it's just, I'm just bombarded constantly with things going on. It's it's what happened in um, New York City just recently. It's the events of Vegas. It's what's going on at a global level. And even news is kind of based off in a, um, of an emotive metric. So it, it, in some ways it plays into your fear. But fear is an emotion. And then here's the rest of the definition. It is an emotion perpetuated by the thoughts of looming future loss. At the end of the day, that's really, really where fear is coming from, right? It's the threat of looming future loss over something, and we kind of give into it. We think about it. We perpetuate it. And one of the things about fear is fear compounds itself. The more you give in to fear, the more you give room to fear, the more fear grows. It's like a disease. But it's all about looming future loss, whatever it is, financial loss, relational loss, loss in your industry, Loss in terms of something with your kids, loss in terms of like some virtue. Uh, For those of us who are followers of Jesus, maybe if there's an area where you feel like God is leading you to do something, there may be this fear of, if I say yes to this, then maybe I'm going to miss out on something in the future, and that's really where your fear is originating from. But all fear, physical, relational, financial, it's all about these perpetuated thoughts of looming future loss, and we feel it as an emotion. That's really what fear is. And fear, as I said, can be healthy, but fear can go off the rails and be extraordinarily dangerous. Here, here's what I want you to know as we enter into the series, is here's where fear gets dangerous. It's not that you shouldn't have fear. It's not that anyone should minimize your fear. But fear goes off the rails when fear begins to control your life. And here's what I want you to know, and I'll unpack this a little more as we go, is that fear is an entity that can and will, if it's let, will take control of all of your life. I mean, just think about this. Answer these couple questions. What has fear kept you from doing? Like, I can think of a bunch of examples just in my own life. Like, smaller examples, like when I was in high school, I played basketball, believe it or not. I'm built like a horse jockey, but I played basketball. And I was decent. It was a small school. We were decent. We won a state championship my junior year, got back my senior year, lost in the final game. So my sole um, decision-making process for college was where I could play ball. And so I picked a small school. It was all walk-ons. There was no scholarships. But um, it was like I thought if I, if I could play, that would be legit. That would be a lot of fun over the next couple of years. I, I really chose that over even educationally. I, I mean, I just wanted to play ball. So I got there, and I'll never forget freshman year. And they had walk-on tryouts, and I got there. And up into this point in my life, you would probably say I struggle with overconfidence, not lack of confidence. And so I just remember walking in, and, and maybe not for the first time, but the first time I can really remember, fear just overwhelmed me where I just started thinking, I don't know if I can hang, what, what was I thinking in choosing this, because I'm paying a bunch of money for this school, and I don't even know if I, I'm going to have what it takes, I don't know if I'm going to measure up, all of it, just fear began to flood me, and I'll just never forget, I went to the first tryout the first day, left, and never came back. Didn't even see if, if I had what it took, or whether I could hang or not, I just, out of fear, I just left, and never went back and paid way too much money for my undergrad education. So what has fear kept you from doing? For some of you, it's an idea you didn't pursue. For others, it's a relationship. For others of you, it's it's this thing where God's leading you to move in a direction, but you just feel like you can't take the step. But I guarantee at some level, fear's kept you from doing some things. Here's the other question is, what has fear caused you to do? For some of you, it's, man, you are full-on hovering parent on steroids, helicopter parent. You don't, need to, you don't need to elbow anybody right now, just eyes up here. But, like, that's you. Some of you, it's, it's full on micromanaging. Others of you, you've made unwise decisions out of your fear. For others of us, it's just been this thing where we react in a way that on the other side of it, we're like, what, what are we thinking? And if you were to, to trace its origin, it's all about fear. Fear's caused you to do some things that normally you would not do. And here's where I think there's two groups this morning is that some of you, as you think about fear, you think about the impact fear has had on your life, maybe what you're struggling with right now, you're at a place where you would go, I'm just done with this. I'm just done with, like, I'm tired of making decisions based off of this. I'm tired of making myself look like a fool. I'm tired of having these seasons of my life where just everything seems to be inhibited by all this stuff that I fear about the future. I'm just done. And then on the other side, I think there's a bunch of us who are in the place where we've just learned to live with it. We've just learned to live around it. We've just learned to accommodate our lives around the inevitability of we all fear stuff. So I I think we're in one of two groups. Here's the big deal, though, if you're a Jesus follower, is you can't really follow and fear at the same time. At one point along the way, one of those things is going to win out. And again, I just want to keep going back to this. It's not that you should never fear, but I'm talking about when it controls and dominates your life, where you're making decisions out of it. You're not doing things. You're not following in ways that you should because of it. You cannot follow and fear at the same time because at some point along the way, there's going to be a crossroads where something's going to be difficult. It's going to play on your fear and you're going to decide, you know what, Jesus, I cannot follow you into this. I cannot do this. I cannot give up this. This and really at the root of it all is your fear. And literally in John, it says, We have been invited into life to the full. And the reality of it all is that you will not experience life to the full as Jesus has defined it as long as fear is dominating your life. And here's what I want you to hear, even if you don't believe it yet, but you just need to journey with us for the next three weeks, is that freedom is possible. Freedom is possible. All throughout the scriptures, it's why you hear these phrases like, listen, fear not. And it seems so naive, like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll start not fearing tomorrow. Or be strong and courageous. Okay, how, how, how do I do that? or 2 Timothy 1.7, where this little letter is written um, to this guy, this protege of Paul, and it says, listen, you've not been given a spirit of fear. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given power. You've been given love. You've been given the ability to live a different kind of life. So even if you don't believe me, I just want to speak over you that it is possible to live and walk in the rhythm of life where fear does not control and does not dominate you. And the whole Christian journey and the whole following Jesus' journey really is synonymous with freedom. And if you aren't experiencing freedom, there's more that Jesus has for your life. Fear can be overrun. So here's where I want to start is I think the beginning place to looking at from the scriptures, which is where we want to go, how we can begin to move through and move across and over our fear is to understand fear. If you're ever going to overcome fear, the first step is to understand your fear, to get a layer or two below to to really go, okay, what do I actually fear? Because what you name is generally not what you actually fear. It's the job, it's the thing with the kids, it's the education, it's the financial thing, but, but there's actually a layer or two below that. And as you begin to understand it, you can begin to take steps toward freedom. There's a guy by the name of Carl Arbrecht, he's a psychologist, and he basically lists out um, what he calls like a fear pyramid that names kind of the four major categories where most of our fear is coming from. And by the way, psychology and science is not an enemy to the scripture, it's a complement to the scripture because all truth is God's truth. I don't know what you grew up with, but um, that is truth, what I just said. So here's what Carl Arbrecht kind of says, and here's how he breaks it down is, Your fear is coming from one of these categories, maybe from multiple categories, and the first one is ego, and here's what I mean. For some of us, the massive fear that we have over that job, over that decision is, if I go after that and it doesn't work, then I'm going to feel insignificant. If this doesn't work, then, then I'm going to feel like I'm not somebody. If this job or this this thing, this promotion doesn't work out, then I'm just I'm going to feel deflated. I'm not really going to know where to go next. But I just this feeling of insignificance that drives our feel fear. For others of us, it's humiliation. Like there's certain things we won't do or certain things we will do in order to manage our lives around this fear of humiliation. Like, they say the two biggest fears are actually death and public speaking. And most people, the actual practical fear that they struggle with more is public speaking. It's why Jerry Seinfeld's punchline is like, literally people would rather be in the casket than speak at the funeral. Because why? Because we fear humiliation. Like, it's a driving force maybe behind our decisions or what we're doing. Um, Another huge, huge fear out of our ego is failure. That it's really not about their education. It's really not about the job. It's really not even solely about the relationship. It is if this doesn't work out or if this happens or if we don't have enough three years from now, I'm going to feel like a failure. And it drives habits and drives decisions and it drives reactions in our life. And it, it grows our sense of fear. The second one is this. Out of our separation, fear of separation. For some of us, it's It's singleness. You're like, man, is, this, is there ever going to be a train out of this season? Like, is this ever going to work out for me? For others, it's fear of divorce or another divorce or that they're going to walk out again. Another huge one is the fear of abandonment. So depending on maybe something that happened in the past, your family of origin, a a circumstance at 17 years old, there is this thing, this feeling you carry into a lot of the aspects of your life where you feel being abandoned. And out of that, you sabotage some relationships, but there is a real fear that you have. For others of us, a big one is, is the loss of a loved one, which is a legit fear. And and what we really fear is separation, and it drives different decisions and habits in our life. The other one is this on his fear hierarchy, is autonomy. All of us want at some level to be in control. So this is really, for some of you, the reason why if you go somewhere with a friend, you always have to drive yourself and get there because you don't want to be out of control. Anybody in the room, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you can be honest, it's church, all right, um, autonomy, like this, this is why people hoard, because they're afraid if one day when I need it, it's not there, then I'm kind of out of control, and it just leads to this, this behavior of hoarding. The, the other things out of autonomy is financial loss, and really what you fear behind that financial loss or the market share is, I'm not going to have control. I'm not going to have control of my future. And it's a real fear that drives decisions and then drives habits. And then the last one, the most obvious, is the fear of extinction. This is really what's behind your fear of snakes. Going to die, right? I heard a a story recently of this guy that visited a military base. And he was there, and they're like, I I guess this is the area where they're at. It's infested with snakes. And they're um, basically, um, I don't know, advice to him was if you get bit by a snake, Make sure you grab the snake and take it with you to the hospital. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, so I can get bit 30 more times on the way? Like, you are nuts. But this is, this is your fear of clowns and snakes, and it, it's extinction. It's the fear of death. Even though one out of one of us are going to die, we fear it. We make decisions out of it, Right? And this is driving our fear. So ego, separation, autonomy, extinction. And here's what I tell you. Th- this is one of the bigger driving forces of our day-to-day fear. Significance or insignificance. The fear of failure. The fear of humiliation. And so why, why is all of that important? It's because fear, and, and this is how I think you should look at it, fear is an entity that is desiring control and seeking control of your life. And here's why, fear is not who you are, and the more that you disassociate and separate yourself from fear, the better it is. But here's what I want you to know as a Jesus follower, and if you're not and you're investigating, this sounds kind of weird, but you just need to know this. You have an enemy that is looking to play on your insecurities and your fears every day of your life, in every circumstance of your life, in every decision of your life. And one of his primary tools is to use fear to hem you in and hold you you back. And it's fear generally coming from two big places, conditioning and control. Conditioning meaning how you grew up, who your mom was, what you experienced, some of those events and circumstances of your life. And then the other part of it is out of your desire for control, the enemy wants to control you. But out of conditioning and control, he is creating and manufacturing a plan for your life and doing everything that he can to move Fear into a place where it will control you, consume you, and overwhelm you because, come on, if he can't get you to disbelieve, he'll just inactivate you. Fear is the number one thing the enemy wants to use to hem you in. And here's the thing as Jesus followers, if you care about this, and you should, that when we live a life, not where we have fear, but when we are controlled by fear, ultimately, it steals the glory of God. Because every fear says this when we're controlled by it. God, I don't know if you can really handle this. I don't know if I lost this or if this didn't work out, if I really would be okay because I feel like my life would end and I just don't feel like you would be enough. And it steals God's glory. So the starting place today is to move back and we're going to kind of come back to this, but to, over, to understand fear in order to overcome fear, to kind of back up, to go, fear is not who I am, but it's an entity that the enemy wants to use to literally wreck my life and keep me from what God really has for me. But then there's more to it than that because understanding fear will only get you so far. Uh, understanding fear will not move you to a place to really experience freedom from fear. There has to be more to it than that. And as you look at the scriptures, there is one word in the scriptures that is associated with fear and you never would come to this conclusion on your own. If we were to sit down and talk about fear and how you combat fear and how can you overcome fear at like a root level, I could give you five guesses and I don't think you would come to this conclusion. It is completely counterintuitive, but it is the the third option to fight or flight. Because right now, just in terms of human terms, you are naturally created to fight or flight when fear comes. Fight meaning I'm going to white knuckle it. I'm going to figure out a way through it. I'm going to figure out a technique and how to breathe and how to focus on the right things and, and somehow just manage my way. And then the other option is just flight. You just take off. You just emotionally detach. And the scripture comes in to say, no, no, no. There is a different option to the natural fight fight. Or flight reactions. And this one word is the way to not mask your fear, not coat over your fear, not find a way to just live and navigate around your fear. But eventually, it's not gonna happen this morning, most likely, it has the ability to overcome, overpower, and conquer your fear. And here's the one word love. Like, oh, are you serious? That's the typical preacher. You're going to talk about fear and anxiety, and that's where you're going to start, bro. Are you serious? But just hang with me for a second. That, that throughout the scriptures, it, it talks about again and again and creates this link of you, you don't just need to understand fear. You need to understand this particular kind of love that has the ability to overpower your fear. And can, if you can just go with me for a second, a lot of what you've done has not worked, So maybe just lean in for a few minutes and give us three weeks because maybe the scripture has something that speaks to what you're struggling with and what you're grappling with that that nobody else can really speak to. And so in the scriptures, you get this third option where it talks about this particular kind of love that can overpower your fear. One of the guys in the scriptures that was... The closest to Jesus, he's a guy by the name of John. I mean, he was, I mean, he was there at every major event. John sits down at the end of his life to record Jesus' life and ministry and all that he learned. And here's kind of the connection that he draws as he describes what he saw from Jesus specifically as it relates to this whole issue of fear and this whole word that really has the power to combat it. Here's what he says in 1 John 4.18. Maybe you've heard this verse. There is no fear in love. Meaning, either fear or love, and I'll explain this in a second, is going to win out, but they cannot coexist. One or the other will have the final say. And then he says, but perfect love, what are these two words? Perfect love drives out fear. And what he's talking about in terms of perfect love is this is in spite of love. Not because you've gotten it right, in spite of the fact that you haven't gotten it right. Not because you've been faithful, but in spite of the fact that you haven't been faithful. Not because you haven't been an idiot through the struggles of your fear, but in spite of the fact that you're an idiot. In spite of love, where you are, with what you struggle with, with all your unfaithfulness, with all the things you wish you could rewind about your life, this is the beauty of the scripture that God is offering, and in spite of love to you, it's available to every single individual. And here's really the characterization of this love. This love, as John describes it in later Paul, is a love that really embodies the presence and the power of God. That when we talk about love, we're not talking about just some emotion or feeling. We're talking about a love that speaks to and over our life in such a way that it represents the presence and the power of God in every circumstance and every situation. And what he's saying is, it's not that there is not fear, but as you begin to reorient your mind and your thinking, literally you can move to a place where fear has no room to operate in your life. The fear has no room to be able to do its work. It's still there, but it's overpowered by something else because literally the presence and power of God, the kind of love we're talking about, has the ability to repel fear in your life, even if you don't believe it right now and so you you have to overcome fear by understanding but more than that you have to overcome fear by coming face to face with what is offered through Christ realizing that it is really the only actual antidote to your fear being overridden and overcome here's a guy by the name of Paul comes along a dozen years later and he explains this kind of love and and I love the writings of Paul because he understands this better than I do and probably better than you do Paul is not a super emotional guy. He's not going to come and paint an unrealistic picture. He's not going to try to you know, fantasize things or make you believe that fear's not a big deal. Paul is a guy who in his life was falsely accused. He's a guy that tried to kill and stamp out Christianity and then became one, and then he would go into cities and confront families where literally he had destroyed their family. Talk about anxiousness coming into work on Monday. He's a guy that... At one point along the way, he's almost stoned to death with rocks. He's a guy that ends up being shipwrecked. He's a guy that after a shipwreck one time and being beaten, he finds himself on an island. He's trying to build a little fire, and he gets bit by a snake. And at some point along the way, you're like, can somebody throw this guy a bone? Are you serious? Like everything that you can imagine Paul confronted, he knows And then this particular letter he writes to a people who know and understand fear. He writes to a group of Christians in Rome who are living under Nero. Nero who liked to take Christians and burn them at the stake just for sport. And so there Paul is with everything he'd experienced in his life, understanding fear in first century Rome in a way that I don't think we can recognize. And he writes to a people going, okay, Paul, you got to give us something, man. This isn't like I'm fearing what's going to happen at work on Tuesday. This is like I might lose my life. Like everything is against us. There is really nowhere to turn. There's nobody on our side. So Paul, give us something. And Paul unpacks this whole idea of the force that moves against fear more powerfully than anything else is the love that represents the power and presence of God. Here's what he writes, Romans chapter 8, verse 35. This is a letter that he wrote that was eventually bound in this library we call the Bible. And if you've got the CC app, you can find this on version. There's also notes you can follow along with. Here's what Paul pens. What shall separate or who shall separate us from the love, the presence, and the power of Christ? And here's what he's saying is, God demonstrated his love for us in such a powerful and such a remarkable way. It begs the question, is there anything that could come along that could actually separate us from that, that could overpower that kind of love? Is there any circumstance with my finances, with my marriage, with my kids, with the fear of the fact that they're not going to be around forever? Is there anything where it would get intense enough to where it could overcome the presence and power of God's love in such a way that it's not going to be enough for me, that it's not going to sustain me, that I'm not going to be okay. And Paul's like, I'm just asking the question. And then he says this. Maybe you're familiar with it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, marriage, finances, kids, are you going to have enough in five years? Are you going to get that job? Are they going to get the scholarship? Are you going to be able to recover your reputation? Hardship? Persecution, famine, nakedness, meaning we're at a place where we feel like we've lost everything. Or if I get to a place where I lose everything, am I gonna be able to survive? Are my kids gonna be able to survive? What would we do? How would we move forward? How would we function? Or danger or sword? And this is Paul just being straight up real like, hey, you should fear all these things. Fear is real. This could happen. I'm writing to a group of Christians huddled for their lives. But hey, even in those circumstances, can that overpower the presence and the power of God represented through his love? And then he says this kind of looking back. As it is written, for your sake we face death. Paul's talking about himself all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Basically what Paul's saying is this is, We have risked everything. We have risked everything in order to demonstrate for you guys sitting in Rome and you guys a couple thousand years later. We've risked everything to let you know and to demonstrate for you how scandalous, how powerful, how overwhelming this love is. So is there any circumstance of our lives or your life that could overpower what God says is true, his presence and his power? And the question is rhetorical. There's nothing there's nothing. And, and when you begin to understand this, not at a head level but a heart level, you understand that there is no fear that can overcome it and that there is a way forward to overcoming your fear. And it starts by being overwhelmed by God's love as it speaks to your fear. And then he says this, no, in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved God and loves in spite of who loves us. So, so here's what I, I want to start today is I just first, and then I'll, I'll try to add a couple things on this as we land this plane. I just want to speak that over you for a second because here's maybe the number one enemy for some of you guys. You don't believe any of that. And you love Jesus. You believe in Jesus, but, but this isn't a reality in your life. And I just want to tell you as you're getting woken up by 2 a.m. from a whisper, you are not enough. And you are not going to have enough. And if this happens, you are not going to survive it. And if this doesn't work out, you are going to be nobody. And who? who, What are you going to tell them? How how are you going to find an excuse? How are you going to find your way forward? And and if 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 the bottom drops out of this, your life really is over. There's really no reason to keep moving forward. And and I just want to speak over some of you where you're getting woken up at two and three a.m. and there's constantly this whisper that almost feels audible about all the ways that you're insignificant, or you're not going to be able to survive that humiliation, or there is a bunch to fear, and you're not going to be able to move past it, that there is a love that is able to overwhelm that fear, to speak against that fear as you are in the place right now where you are being completely controlled by it, fixated on it, your life is dominated by it, and Paul is inviting us as well as a bunch of the other New Testament authors to say, through Christ, his incredible presence and power manifested through his love can conquer your fear and overwhelm your fear, there is a way forward. And here's the thing I want you to think about is that every single fear is an opportunity for God to do something at the level of that fear. Here's what I mean. Every single fear is an opportunity where God's going, where you are dominated and controlled by that. It means there is a deficiency in you really understanding my love and my ability and the fact that I will be with you in any circumstance, whether it's the relationship, the education, the financial thing, just the inner, I just don't feel like I'm enough. In every single one of those, when you spot it, it really is an invitation from your Savior to go, I want to deepen your faith and I am by my grace revealing something for you where you may have a head knowledge of it, but you don't really understand at the heart the fact that I can see you through this and my love is enough to be able to begin to overpower this fear. Here's what I mean. For some of you, it's, it's ego and your thing is, man, I just feel insignificant. I just, like, you're carrying a weight home. You're working 70 hours because of it. You have neglected some things that you shouldn't neglect, and it's all out of a fear of insignificance. For some of you, it's a fear of humiliation, so you won't take that step of faith. For others of you, you just fear this thing where I'm just not going to matter, and if I fail, I don't know how I'm going to go on, and here's how practically God loves speaks to that throughout the scripture, that you matter to God, and for a lot of We just kind of yawn and go, yeah, I've heard that before. But come on, if this could get from your head to your heart, it would change everything. That when you place your faith and trust in Christ, at that moment to say, I believe in your death and resurrection from the grave, and I'm not trusting me, but I'm trusting you. And here's what the scripture says, that in that moment of transfer of trust, all of the benefits of Christ's life are now given to you so that when your heavenly father sees you and sees you and sees you, he sees you as if you have already earned, you have already completed. Completed the race of your life. You have already been faithful. You are somebody. You are significant. There is nothing that you need to do to try to get acceptance. You are living from acceptance. And when your father looks at you, you are a son. You are a daughter. You are lavishly loved from the creator universe, from the the creator of the universe. And there is no weight that you need to carry. There is nothing that you need to try to move forward with it as if you are in control. And you matter to God, not because the promotion comes through, not because your kid gets the scholarship but because you are made in his image and because you matter to him and when you begin to speak the truth of that over the areas where you are absolutely inundated by fear I'm telling you that love can begin to change something inside of you for others of you for others of you it's separation it's I I don't I don't know what I'm going to do. And if I have to be alone, that's a big fear of mine. And your Savior speaks to you, I can't, I can't speak to the fact that, that it's going to work out with that dating relationship. But what I can tell you is I will never leave you. I don't know what's going to happen in that marriage. I get that you fear abandonment for really, really good reason. And there are real fears about what's going to happen if I ever lost them. But I'm just telling you from the words of your Savior, I will never leave you. And it's so easy for that to be a freaking bumper sticker. But I'm talking about when you begin to combat fear with the reality that this is true. Everybody else may leave you, but not the presence and power of the love of your Savior through every circumstance and every incident of your life. The, the third thing for some of you is is autonomy. And I really just want to just kind of camp on that to go, you're actually not in control of anything ever for a moment of your life. And for some of you, you're like well, that's not helping me. I know, but that's just true. And your Savior speaks to you to go, okay, everything that is out of your control, hear me, is under my rule. Everything that is out of your control is under my rule. And I'm not promising you a bow on the end of this season, but I'm just promising you that you can trust me, that I will be with you, that you will not lose life itself. You will not lose the inability to go on. I will give you the sustaining grace that you need. That's how powerful my love is. And so I don't want you to take tomorrow's fears and bring them into the present. I just want you to trust me. And for others of you, the real Fear of death, the real fear of what would happen and what would happen if I lost them and how would I go on? And your Savior says to you, and this is what changed the first century I defeated death. Come on, guys, we serve a God of resurrection. He resurrects marriages, he resurrects dreams, he resurrects dead ends, he resurrects things we felt like there was no purpose out of them, he resurrects circumstances that we created that we're trying to get out of. Our God is a God of resurrection, and above all else, he has defeated death. There's going to be a day, as Revelation says, where death will be openly mocked, and there is nothing to fear, and this is what, in the first century, allowed Christians to go into villages, and they didn't fear anything, because what do you... You fear when you serve a God of resurrection who has now placed that same resurrection power inside of you. And that doesn't do away with real fear, but I'm telling you, this has the ability to eradicate your fear and not give it any room to operate. I'll never forget when my my brother passed away when I was 17. For a long season after that, every time the phone would ring, you would just be filled with terror because you didn't know when you were going to get another phone call. And you know what began to just change things for me, just, just number one is I saw God walk us through that season and everything that I feared on the other side of it, it doesn't change the heartbreak and the pain and the fact that it alters your life forever, but he really was enough, <laughs> he, he really was enough, and you know what, I also just absolutely just stuns me that causes the hair on my arm to stand up is that at 11 this morning my brother Chris is as alive in this moment as I am because I serve a God of resurrection and we are separated by space but there will be a day where we will fully understand and see the reality that death has been overcome every tear will be wiped away and there is nothing to fear in Christ Paul ends this way, and this is really the first part of his discussion, but it should have been ordered differently in the manuscript. How arrogant is that? Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Spoken this over you for a couple of years. I just want to keep going back to it. Any God who would die for you is for you. You can put that to bed forever. Because of his in spite of love. And as long as God's love is getting your primary attention, fear has no room to operate. If God is for me, there is no fear that can control me. Fear is going to come. You're going to experience fear. Fear is an emotion that we're all going to have this side of eternity. But there is no fear that can control you. Do you really believe that in every circumstance, in every situation, that if you allow God and you surrender to Him, that He will repurpose anything for your good and for His glory? Because that's just true. God's love doesn't just defeat fear, God's love annihilates fear. And I just want to say that because it's not a close call. They're not getting to the finish line to go, who's going to win out? When you begin to focus all your attention on this love, it begins to do away with your fear at the level of it controlling your life. So overcoming fear starts with understanding fear, but overcoming fear really ends with trusting in God's love for you. Not believing that all over this room and online and both of our campuses, there's, there's a lot of people that believe that about God's love. I'm talking about trusting in. Because when you begin to trust in, that redirects your faith. And here's what I mean every time you fear, fear is faith in the enemy. Every time you fear, you are putting faith in the enemy that God will not be enough, that God will not see you through, that God will not sustain you, that God will not be with you in the moment. So every time you fear, it is Faith in the enemy to use fear to control your life. And when you begin to trust in God's presence and power through his love, what you're doing is moving your faith to God's love for you rather than the enemy's control over you. So my question is just have you done that have you embraced that the fact there is nothing that can happen to you that could separate you from God's presence and God's power and what I mean by that is in every circumstance the invitation and promise is not pain free problem free it is that on the other side and I'm just telling you Jesus will be enough for you He will and you're not going to immediately believe that in an emotional level, but it starts with that declaration of trust to go, God, I want to trust you in this way. I've got to end quickly, but I was watching, or, or actually somebody else told me about a documentary by Jimmy Iovine, extraordinary producer, and he told the story about, he's produced for some of the greatest artist musicians of all time, and he moved one day from an engineer to a or from an intern to an engineer, and it happened overnight. There's one day he got a call from his boss. It was a Sunday. He's like, can you come in, and I want to move you to engineer. And he's like, I mean, he was excited about it, but he's like, are you serious? It's a Sunday. I don't want to go into work on Sunday. So he finally came in, and this was the day where finally the intern hat is off. He becomes an engineer, a little bit of a bad attitude, big coffee, just try to make it through the day. And as he's there ready to kind of assume his duty, in walks John Lennon. And for the next six hours, Jimmy Iovine begins to to engineer for John Lennon. And in the documentary, they are like, what gave you the confidence as like a punk intern to to be able to do that? And he said this, and I don't know if this will hit home with you, but it did for me. He said, the only thing I can imagine is this, that, that my dad would constantly tell me that when I walked into a room, I made the room better. When I walked into a room, I made the, and he said, I just believed that. And my point in that is not that you would think about your earthly father because I don't want you to go there right now. And my point is not go home and share that with my kids. That's great, but that's not my point either. My point is that you have a heavenly father in heaven who thinks that about you. That you are significant, that you are loved, that you are created in his image that you have everything you need, the same power that raised Christ from the dead in you, and his love can overpower your fear. And I think Jesus speaks to us from the ages to go, guys, come on. You're going to experience fear, but come on. I didn't come to earth to move over the power of the darkness of hell, and I didn't come to earth to create a name that is above every name, and I didn't come to earth to set up a throne that is above every throne. Like, I tell nature what to do, and nature's like, okay. I tell dead people to stop being dead, and they just stop being dead. I raise the blind with a touch. I I heal the sick with a look. I am the God that's over all creation. So I didn't come to set my name above every name so that you could be demoralized by fear that it could hem your life in and that it would lead you to doubt my goodness, my power, my sustaining ability and my love that has the effect to completely eradicate and drive out your fear and not give it any more room to operate regardless of what your multi-generational baggage looks like. So come on and follow me. And I think it starts with two things, worship and confession. I love what David says. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me, such a huge statement, from all my fears. So it starts with, I want all of you guys to stand up all over the room, and regardless, I'm a couple minutes over in this service, I want the band to still come up um, as we get ready to close this out, because... There's two huge things when the enemy begins to whisper at you at 3 a.m. or in the middle of the day or in those areas of your life where it just seems so strong and you feel like you cannot go on. What that is is a soundtrack in your mind that needs to be reoriented. And one of the ways you do that is worship through music where you start to take whatever those lies are and you overcome them with the truth. In the power of God's love. And then, secondly, you confess. You confess out loud. You confess in your bathroom. You confess somewhere where nobody sees you so you don't look like a freak. But you take those areas of your life where you are believing the lie and you start to speak against it to go, here's what God's love says about that. I am not insignificant. I do not have to fear humiliation because I matter to God. I do not have to fear death because I serve a God who defeated death. I do not have to fear separation. That's a real fear. I'm going to grapple with that maybe, but I'm also going to understand, God, you will. Will never leave me and you will never forsake me even if I don't feel that emotionally right now. And I'm telling you, God begins to do something. What will happen over the next three minutes for some of you is that in this moment, faith will be reborn for you because that's the power that this has. For some of you in this moment or the next about three or four minutes, something will happen in you as you speak these words that starts to do something in your heart that moves some of these truths from your head to your heart. And this can't end here. This has to be the lifestyle of your life. So what do you fear and where do you fear? And what does God's love say about that? What does he confront those lies with? And begin to get it on your Pandora playlist. Get it on something, but have a soundtrack to speak into the fears that are overcoming your life, and then get some three by five cards. And I do this. And every time there's a lie that I'm believing, I'm going to expose that lie with the truth. And I'm just going to confess outside, this fear has no power over my life. So, would you guys, whatever this looks like for you, if you want to stand up and shout, you can do that. If it's authentic, if you want to get on your knees and just allow this to wash over you, if you just want to sing as loud as you can, or if you just want to lift up your arms and just allow this to start to penetrate, you may not sing a word. But whatever you need to do, even in this moment, to surrender, to go, God, I want you to begin to speak to these fears that says this and i'm going to end with this you make the darkness tremble jesus you silence fear your name is a light that the shadows cannot deny your name cannot be overcome your name is alive forever lifted high you make the darkness tremble jesus you silence the fear